Uh, friends, I want you to understand, I want me to understand, I want us to understand that the commands of God are not given to us just to keep us busy. The commands of God aren't even given to us to make us good people. The commands of God are full of wisdom and they're for a purpose, always for a purpose. Oftentimes, behind the commands of God um, is something deeper. There's often more behind the command than the simple command. Many times the commands of God have with them a whisper, a shadow of something more profound, more important. As we've been looking in this series about these, we've been looking at seven Old Testament feasts, seven feasts that God commanded his people to practice annually. There's more behind the command of the feast than just a festival. But because we're so tuned to looking at the command or the instruction, and, and that being all that we see, we miss the whisper. We miss the deeper, more profound thing behind it. These feasts are very similar to that. There were seven that were commanded, days of celebration, days of commemoration, festivals, but there was something more profound and deeper that was behind it all, that for generations and eons people have missed. What, be what lies behind the feasts that were commanded of God in the Old Testament were whispers about the Messiah the coming of the chosen Holy One of God, Jesus the Christ, that we celebrate on Christmas in the form of this baby. But God was whispering about this for generations and eons, and they missed it. He was whispering to his people, his, his creation, his humanity, the entire created order, there was one coming that would change things. This baby who would change the world, this one who would change the way we relate with God. This one would change how God relates with us. This one would change our understanding of God. This one that would change all eternity. So what we've been doing in this series from our perspective is looking back 3,400 years to these festivals to hear the whispers that at once were whispers and shadows that now are shouts and can be seen clearly. God had been whispering to his people about this Messiah for generations. And it came to fruition that first Christmas night. We're, our tendency is to get lost in the baby and lost in the season and still miss what's behind it. These seven Old Testament festivals were previews or coming attractions of what God was about to do. And the Jews of the time saw the festival, they saw the season, but they missed the point. I don't want us to miss the point. And so I need to recap where we've been. Hopefully, if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, it'll be familiar. If you haven't been with us over the past couple of weeks, this is all going to be like getting a drink of water out of a fire hose. Uh, it's a little bit overwhelming, but just hang with me as we, I need to recap four of these festivals before we get into the next couple. This whole series wraps up on Christmas Eve. I want, you, I want you to put on your calendar Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 5 o'clock in the afternoon to be with us on Christmas Eve. This whole series wraps up with the final 
the seventh of the seven festivals. And it is profound and beautiful and wondrous. If you have friends, you got family, likely they'll, they'll, they'll agree to go with you to church. On, on They might deny you every other time, but Christmas and Easter, those, those are two times where they might show up. And so I'd encourage you with your huddle, there's people in your life, make sure you go and make, make it a point to invite them to come to, with you to Christmas Eve service, 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock on Friday, and we'll wrap this whole thing up. Now it's been said that uh, there, there's a difference between an educator and a teacher. Do you know the difference? Let, let me tell you the difference. An educator takes something simple and makes it complex. And a teacher takes something complex and makes it, makes it simple. And so I'm going to do my best to be a teacher this morning and not be an educator. Because this stuff at its face value looks pretty complex. The calendars for the Jews that, that, that they ran their, lived their life by, there were two calendars. There was a, a civil calendar and a religious calendar. It's much like we have experienced in, in our world. We have a, a civil calendar that, that starts on January 1st, and we have a fiscal calendar. It starts in the middle of the year. And, and so we, we understand this practice. They had the same thing, but it was a religious calendar and a civil calendar. And the religious calendar began with four spring festivals, the festival of Passover and of unleavened bread and of first fruits and of Pentecost. And we, that's where we've been over the past two weeks. And I'll recap those just to bring you up to speed. But after these four spring festivals that began their religious calendar, there was a four-month break. And then the religious calendar followed up with three fall festivals, the Festival of Trumpets, of the Day of Atonement, and of Tabernacles. And so we're going to look at today the, Trump, the Festival of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement before wrapping it up on Christmas Eve with Festival of Tabernacles. These festivals included days off. We all like that idea. If God commands us to take a day off, that's not a bad command, right? Prescribe things to do, prescribe things not to do, but they're all shadows and whispers of the work of, and role that the Messiah who was coming would fulfill and ask us to join him in. It's as if God was whispering, he's coming soon. Like all the, for 1,400 years, these commands were given to these festivals, and the 1,400 years, they practiced these every year. As if God was saying, get ready, he's coming. Today, they're more than whispers. Now we can look back as shouts of God that says, this is who he is and this is what he's done. Don't miss him. The festival's recorded for us in Leviticus 23. Real quick little snapshot. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I shortened this down because I got I to gotta bring you all up to speed in four festivals before I even get into the next two. So let, let me just quickly remind you of these four festivals. Leviticus 23, these are the Lord's, appoint, Lord's appointed festivals. The Lord's Passover, that's number one. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Festival of Unleavened Bread begins. That's festival number two. For seven days you must eat bread without yeast. There's a point to that. There's a purpose to it. Other than just the command of not eating bread with yeast in it, it's a shadow of Jesus who's completely sinless. We'll talk about it. When you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf or a bundle of the first grain, first fruits of that harvest. That's festival number three. 
Count off 50 days. That's what the word Pentecost means. It means 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and uh, present an offering. That's the fourth festival, the festival of Pentecost. We've covered those four. All shadows and whispers of the Messiah. If, you, if you've not been with us over the past two weeks, you're not following us online, I would encourage you to go back to our website. Go to our, it's on our podcast, it's on our app, and get, maybe get yourself up to speed with these four festivals. And I think they're, in, they're, I think they're fascinating. And so if you, if you haven't, haven't been with us to these, uh, make yourself uh, available to those. Now watch this. So th- those are the first four spring feasts. Now there was a four-month break. And then here's the three fall feasts. On the first day of the seventh month, remember that. On the first day of the seventh month, you're to have a day of Sabbath rest. A sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. That's the festival of trumpets. This, by the way, is is the festival that we know the least about in Scripture. There's, There's not much in the Bible about it. And there's only one place in all the Scripture where it records them actually practicing this festival. So we'll we'll get into that. But that's the fifth feast. The tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. This was the holiest day, the highest holiest day for the Jews. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves fast. Deny yourselves. It's the sixth festival. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's Festival of Tabernacles, festival number seven, it begins. And it lasts for seven days. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. So this is where we get the biblical instruction of these festivals. And if you dive into Leviticus 23, there's some instructions about them. So just as recap, festival number one was a festival of Passover, and it commemorates God freeing the Hebrews, his people, from slavery in Egypt. Uh, We've talked about that a lot. They were slaves in Egypt. They were crying out to God for liberation and freedom. And God finally remembered them, heard their prayer, saw their tears, and moved Pharaoh's heart through ten plagues to let his people go. And the last of those ten plagues was brutal. Pharaoh's heart was so hard, he would not release God's people until God threatened and then carried out the tenth plague, which was the death of every firstborn male in the land, human and animal. Unless the person had the blood of a lamb over across the entryway of their home. And then the death angel would pass over. In essence, the judgment of God would pass over them so they could live. So every year they celebrate. When that happened in Egypt, Pharaoh finally realized he was up against something he could not contend with God and let God's people go. And they, this, was the one, this was the biggest event in the nation of Israel. And they celebrated it every year with the festival of Passover. And then following that was the festival of unleavened bread. In the Bible, leaven or yeast represents sin because you put a little bit in a little batch of dough and immediately it spreads the whole, corrupts the whole thing. And we all know that how we've let a little bit of sin in our life corrupt a lot of our life, right? I mean, we've been there, done that. And so in the Bible, leaven represents sin. And so the festival of unleavened bread is that they would make bread without yeast, ultimately symbolizing that Jesus is the ultimate unleavened bread, completely sinless, without sin. And then there was the third of the spring, uh, spring festivals, the festival of first fruits, followed by the fourth, the festival of Pentecost. And we talked about this idea that the 
Festival of First Fruits happened right after the first harvest of the year of the religious calendar during the barley harvest. And the farmers would, the people would take a, a, a bunch of barley grain and wave it before the priests as if they were offering it to God, symbolizing that if the first fruit that's offered to God is accepted, all the fruit coming after, all the harvest coming after it would be accepted as well. The idea behind that is that as long as the representative was accepted, all the rest would be accepted as well. Now, this was a huge deal, not just because it was their way of honoring God with the first of all they produced, but it was also a foreshadowing of Christ. Because the Bible says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the resurrection, the what? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection is the biggest, most important promise in all of Scripture. The, all of Scripture, all of God, everything that God has done hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection hadn't happened, it's all worthless. And so this first fruit offering was huge because if the first thing that was offered is representative of all the rest, Jesus was offered his life for sin. And because he was accepted, all those of us coming after in him are accepted and resurrected too. This is a big deal. So this, this, this first fruit offering, we have to see in it the whisper of God that for 1,400 years before Jesus was born, he was saying, listen, when the first fruit comes and I accept that, I will accept all after it. There's a whisper of Jesus and us for us coming after. And then there was a festival of Pentecost. Pentecost literally means 50 days. Here's the interesting thing. Now, don't, 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 don't lose me. Stay with me. It's, I'm, I'm going I'm to start tying this stuff together. Okay, so the festival of Pente at Pentecost, uh, they would offer to God two loaves. But there was something different about the two loaves that they would offer. Those two loaves would have yeast in them. They were commanded to have yeast or leaven in them. So the festival of unleavened bread, get rid of it. It represents sin, and Jesus is our great you know, the perfect one. But now at Pentecost, now we offer bread with leaven in it. How does something that was once really bad and dirty now become acceptable to offer to God? Because it's shadows of Jesus. So the perfect, unleavened, sinless life of Christ now absorbs the leaven of us so that we, not sinless, not pure, can be offered to God and accepted. You follow me? Here's the thing. Jesus, we understand this from Scripture, was sinless. Only one ever. You and I, not so much. Right? So the, the, the leaven the, the, in us has got to be put somewhere. So do me a favor. Uh, um, like, look to the person on your right. Just, just, okay, someone. Now look to the person on your left. Probably one of those people is pretty sinful. If you doubt me, when you go home, uh, look in the mirror. Probably one of those two people. 
it's pretty sinful. And so the, the Pentecost, all of our stuff goes into this unleavened bread that's offered to God and accepted. And so it's like this beautiful picture. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. All of our leaven. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So because he was the first fruit and was accepted, the guarantee that even though we're full of mess, we'll be accepted by God too, coming in Christ. So those were the first four uh, spring festivals. Then there was this four-month break. And according to their religious calendar, the fall began with another festival. And there were three festivals in the fall. We're going to look at two of them today, the Festival of Trumpets and the Festival of, of, of the Day of Atonement. Before we wrap, I wrap this up on Christmas Eve with the Festival of Tabernacles, which is absolutely beautiful. But just to remind ourselves, Leviticus 23, on the first day of the seventh month, remember that, the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blast. Now, that phrase trumpet blast in the Old Testament, what it literally means is just a, a day of loud noises. <laughs> it's just a bunch of loud noises. They, they understood it to be trumpet blast because how it was fleshed out later, but it literally means just loud noises. So, so the idea is just make a big old ruckus on this day. Make a big ruckus on this day. So it, 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 it's for the purpose, the festival of trumpets is for the purpose, uh, think about it in terms of a stop sign. Just stop for a moment. Stop what you, stop your plans, stop your agendas, stop your daily activity, stop it, just stop. Put aside all that stuff and think for a day about eternal stuff, important stuff. Now, this was the, first day of the seventh month according to their religious calendar. But according to their civil calendar, it was the first day of the first month of a new year. So their celebration of shouts and ruckus happened on New Year's Day. Where they were told to stop and contemplate last year. Remember the good of it and remember the bad of it. Remember the ways that our lives walked in accordance with God and his law and remember the times when, by the grace of God, it was a day of stopping and remembering. Slow down. What do we tend to do on New Year's Day? That very thing, right? I mean, after we wake up because we've got to repent of the night before, then we start to assess. It's a feast of trumpets. And it's for the purpose of remembering. Now watch this. Proverbs 10, verse 7a. This, this verse, this is, watch it. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. That's what the Bible says. Now, how do we understand the memory of the righteous? Well, in two ways. I mean, if you understand what it means to remember. Either when we live rightly, the memory of our past is a blessing. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. 
Right? Because if we're living rightly, we know that nobody's got anything to hold over our head. We don't have to be afraid of the shadows. The skeletons are still in the closet. Right? That's one. But here's another way of thinking about this. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. When God remembers the righteous, it blesses him. And so in Numbers 10, verses 9 and 10, I'm not going to read it for you, but I'm just going to tell you, it talks about the festival of trumpets and that it is a memorial and a remembrance. Trumpets are for remembering, for a memorial and remembrance. So it is God remembering his people. To remember means to literally turn in positive attitude and attention towards. That's what the Bible means about remembering. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. When God remembers the righteous, it's a blessing. Why? Because to remember means to turn positive attitude and attention towards. So when we ask God to remember us, what we're doing is asking God, not that he's forgotten, but we're asking God and looking over the past to remember us and again turn his positive attention and activity towards us. Commanded to do in scripture. There are so many times in the Bible when it says that God remembered his people. Noah in the ark, Genesis 8, and God remembered Noah. People in slavery in Egypt in Exodus 2. And God remembered his people in counting off what God had done in the history of his people. Psalm 106. And God remembered his people. Not that God has ever forgotten us. But it's that God remembers and again turns his positive attention and activity towards us. Here's the thing. Has God ever forgotten you? You have to say that because you're in church. I understand. Has it ever felt like God has forgotten you? Has it ever felt as though, God, where are you now? Do you not remember me? Where are you now? It feels at times during life that God is distant, that sometimes he's hard of hearing, that sometimes we question, what is the purpose? Because it seems as though you've led me to a place of complete despair. I'd rather die than wake up tomorrow. It feels as though sometimes that God has forgotten us. So in the Bible, when it says, God, remember me, it's not that God has forgotten us. It's the cry to God that, God, I need you to turn your positive attention and your positive activity towards me. I want you to remember me. I want you to turn your attention and activity towards me. I need you to move in my life, and I trust that you will because you have not forgotten me. That's what it means for God to remember us. And the Feast of Trumpets was a time for the people to ask God to remember them. God, move in our, on our behalf according to the fullness of your mercy and your grace. But it's also a time for us to remember God because that is the temptation. That we forget about him. That we forget about what he's done. And we have to take a time in our lives, as the Feast of Trumpets suggests, to stop. 
ask God to remember us and for us to remember God. Just stop for a moment. If God has done all of this in the Passover and God's judgment passing over us because of the blood of the Lamb, if he's offered himself as the unleavened sinless bread on our behalf, if he's done all of this, been accepted by, offered himself as the first fruit and been accepted by God, guaranteeing our acceptance and resurrection, if he's done all, just stop for a moment and remember that. He's proven his goodness. And ask him to remember you again. But this is what happens. We tend to forget. Now, when the people of God were led out of slavery in Egypt and they're wandering around in the desert, they come before Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, Moses ascends the mountain and God descends upon Mount Sinai. And that's when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Okay, that whole story. All the people are gathered around. They know Moses is on the mountain. They know God is descending upon the mountain. And God covers the mountain in smoke. And God says, gather everybody around the mountain and blow trumpets. To remember. And to celebrate what I'm about to do. But God told him, this is such a holy place because God has showed up. This is so like you can approach the mountain, but don't you dare touch the mountain because anybody who touches the mountain will die because I am so holy, God said. This is a big deal. And it's such a powerful moment there that's commemorated by trumpets that the mountains shake. Now imagine... Everybody there is in awe, and everybody there knows something is happening. It's a special moment. You're not going to quickly forget a moment like that, right? But yet we do. We've had, we've had moments that in the middle of them we thought, we'll never forget this. This is too good. I mean, you ever had one of those? Remember what a big deal it was if, if you've ever given birth to a child? That's a big deal. I mean, there's a lot of stress a man goes through in that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kidding. I mean. But I, I'm going to tell you this. So I, I mean, Shelly did a lot more work in that than I did. But, but man, I, those are days I'll never forget. Right? It's a big deal. I look back on that with incredible awe and wonder and gratitude and thanksgiving. I mean, think about to the day you've been married, right? A day of wonderment and awe, right? <laughs> Y'all are sad, man. Golly. Like, I'm, I hope it was a day of celebration, at least for a day. Some of you are like, eh. Rolled the dice, gave it a shot. It's all right. That's a big deal. I mean, you, if you're married and you're with that person right now, you, you better. Like, I'm going to give you a chance right now to make it up to them. No, honey, that was a big deal. That was huge. We've had big days, big moments. Have you ever bought your first house, man? Remember, Shell and I buying our first house. Cost us $99,000 for a house. Those were good days. If you've ever graduated, it's a big deal. When you get out of debt and live debt-free, that's awesome. Right? 
But what happens to all of those feelings and emotions? Huh? It goes away. It fades. Life goes on. Back to normal. The proof is in the fact that when I asked how great your wedding was, I got no response. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And this is what happened to the people of Israel. 900 years go by after that Sinai moment. 900 years. And they forgot God. And they end up in captivity in Babylon. And God remembers them. And moves governments to set them free to go back to Jerusalem. And they go back to Jerusalem. And they remember God. This is the only place in Scripture where the Feast of Trumpets is recorded as happening. 900 years after Sinai. Look what the Bible says. So on the first day of the seventh month, I told you to remember that. This just happens to happen on the first day of the seventh month, which is the what? Feast of Trumpets. So on that day, they were commanded to do this eons earlier. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which is made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. That is a long church service. Don't ever complain about me going late. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and all others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. To the book of the law. We're talking about some dry reading to us. They were like, tell me more. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. They could understand and see the shadows. Hear the whispers. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this, is a day, is, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. When they heard the word of God being read to them, it broke them because they realized how much they had forgotten him. And Ezra says, listen, I know that your hearts are breaking because you're realizing how far you've strayed, but this is not the time to mourn. This is a celebration. He said, go and enjoy. Go have fun. Go knock yourself out and enjoy good food and sweet drink. That word sweet drink means literally the sweet fruit of the vine. The good stuff from Napa that's old, not the nasty stuff from Kmart with a screw top. Like the good stuff. And he says, send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says, get everybody together and read what God has said and remember God. And as they remember God, their hearts start to break because they realize in looking back over their lives how far they have strayed. And Ezra says, this is the day of trumpets. It's not a day of sadness. We're going to celebrate. What are we going to celebrate? We're going to celebrate all that God has done. And we're going to remember we're going to ask God to remember us. God, I know that we've strayed. It's proof of where, because of where we've been in slavery and captivity. I know we've strayed, but God, remember us. Turn your positive attention and your positive activity towards us in spite of ourselves. 
Do you know what I pray every day for me and my family? That God will work in advance of our lives, in spite of what we've done, in advance of what we do, according to the fullness of his mercy and grace. It's a feast of trumpets every day. And it also is a time for us to slow down and remember God and all that he's done. And so in the Feast of Trumpets, and what would be good for us to practice today is not the religiosity of the command of the Feast of Trumpets, but the heart of it, to slow down and remember God and celebrate all that God has done. See, here's our problem. We tend to concentrate on what God has not done yet. And that grabs our attention. God win. God, when am I going to get married? God, when? When are you going to move in my life? God, when? When are you going to fulfill these hopes and dreams that I've let you handle because you haven't handled them yet and I need you to do it soon? God, when? When are you going to move and take care of this illness in my life? God, when? When are you going to intervene on behalf of my children? God, when? When are you going to step in in my job? God, when? We tend to concentrate on what God has not done, right? But the festival trumpet says, slow down and stop. Don't remember what he hadn't done. Remember what he has done. In other words, the Feast of Trumpets says this. Stop wondering and start remembering. Yes. Yes. That's the command. Yes. So through this season, our instruction is to stop wondering what and if and when and simply start remembering all that God has already done. You understand? But the Feast of Trumpets is also for us to ask God to remember us. Not that God has forgotten us. But it's the asking of God because you love me so much that you sent your son. Your word says you won't hold anything good from me. And so God, remember me. Move in positive attention and action on my behalf. You've got to be convinced that he loves you that much to do it. Do you understand? So Ezra tells them, don't we, it's a celebration. Eat some good food, enjoy some sweet Coca-Cola or whatever and enjoy. This is so important that Nehemiah wraps this up with don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, the, get this. The joy of the Lord makes you strong. Mm -hmm. Did, yeah. You, you want to know how to manufacture joy? Well, oftentimes, we wait, and hopefully we wake up joyful. Yeah. I'm going to tell you how to manufacture joy. Joy is not something that you wait for. Joy is something that you have the power, that I have the power to manufacture in our lives. Exactly. Do you want to know how to manufacture joy? I'm going to tell you. You manufacture joy by remembering God. That's how you manifest your joy. Yeah. The joy of remembering what God has already done. Yeah. The joy of remembering that God will remember you and move positively on your behalf. Yeah. That, in remembering God, manufactures joy. And that joy is our strength for tomorrow we're not sure we want to walk into yet. And this is why Christ followers ought to be the most joyful and strongest people the planet has ever known. Why is it Christ followers are often seen as the most bitter and divisive people the world has ever known? <laughs> Why is it that so many church people are known for what they're against rather than who they're for? You understand what I'm saying? 
Why is it that the church has been hijacked by politics? Both on the right and the left. Neither of them are right. Not so many amens with that one. That's right. You got to sit in for a little bit. The joy of the remembering God and asking God to remember us, that is our strength. That joy is our strength. So let me, I know, I know what time it is, but hey, these people listen from daybreak till noon, so we got a lot more time here. I'll wrap up with this. I'm, I know what time it is. I know that you know what time it is. Let me wrap this up. So that, that's, that's festival number five. And then we come to the Day of Atonement. There's so little written about the Festival of Trumpets. And there's so much written about the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. This is huge. The tenth day of this seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves fast. That's what that means. And present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is the Day of Atonement when atonement has been made for you because or before the Lord your God. After the Festival of Trumpets, the Festival of Trumpets was a time of review and renewal. It's time to start again. But in order for tomorrow to be different from today, a new me must wake up tomorrow. Because if the old me wakes up tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be just like today. Do you understand? So in order for my tomorrow to be new, not like today, a new me has to wake up tomorrow, not the old me. If the old me wakes up tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be just like today and nothing ever changes. But the only way that the me of me is different today, tomorrow, is that today the old nasty parts of me have to be removed. You follow me? So for the whisper of God about a renewal of life, to become the shout of God, of, an, of a new me, the old me has to be atoned for. The holiest day of the year was the Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Read all about it in Leviticus 16. In Jerusalem, there was a temple. And in the temple, they had two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place. They weren't real original with their names. We'll give them that but the holy place and the most holy place. And in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box with a cover on it, okay? The box contained a couple things, one of which was the Ten Commandments, the law. The law that convinced people and told people they were sinful and separated from God. That was in the Ark of the Covenant. Over the Ark of the Covenant was a lid, and the lid was called the mercy seat. So there was mercy that covered the law, because the law condemned, but there was mercy over it. And it was in this one place that the high priest would go once a year to offer atonement for the, his and, and other sins. And they would sprinkle blood that was taken from a goat over the mercy seat, covering the law. Now, don't miss the whisper. Way uh, in the future, Hebrews 9, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So on the day of atonement, the high priest would take two goats. The first goat would be sacrificed, and the blood of that animal would be taken into the most holy place and sprinkled on the mercy seat covering the law. Don't miss this. 
The high priest, of which Jesus is our high priest forever, the Bible says, takes the blood and sprinkles it over the mercy so that law is covered. See, law is covered by the mercy of God because of the sprinkling of the blood. The law that tells us that we are shamed and separated from God. The law that tells us we are forever. We cannot close that gap between us and God. The law that tells us we are sinners and deserving of eternal destruction has mercy over it. Not only there is mercy over it because Jesus has shed his blood. Do you understand? You follow me so far? So what we know is that law has been covered by mercy because of his blood. It's a beautiful picture. You know what this is? This is the commemoration of that. Every time we take this, we're remembering Jesus and what he's done. The Bible says that Jesus took bread and he lifted it up to heaven and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which I'm giving for you. I was the first fruit given and accepted, so you will be too in me. Because of what I've done, the judgment of God has passed over your life. Do this remembering me. Jesus also took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant, not of the old law, but the new covenant of my blood shed over the entrance of your life. So God's judgment passes over. You can do nothing to add to this, Jesus says. I'm the first fruit. I'm given for you. Do this and remember me. Let me wrap this up with this. On the Day of Atonement, there were two goats. The one goat was sacrificed, the blood on the mercy seat covering the law. Okay, it's pretty clear. But the second goat, the second goat was taken outside the city. And the priest would lay both hands on the goat. Most of the time in scriptures, when there's a laying on of hands, it's a transfer of something. But every other time there's a laying on of a hand. This goat had both hands. Because what had to happen was huge. And the priest would take this goat outside and lay both hands on the goat. Symbolically transferring all the sins of the nation onto the goat. And he would send the goat away, symbolically taking all the sins of the people, placing it on the goat, and chasing the goat away. The goat, though not responsible for the sin, would bear the sin and then leave. It's where we get our word scapegoat. The one who bears no responsibility gets blamed for it all. The scapegoat who has no sin, but the sins are placed on him to bear responsibility, though none of it is his, and then led out of the city. 
Tradition says that it was so important that this goat never come back, symbolizing that God never brings back sin on us once it's taken away, that they would take the goat to a cliff and kick it off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> it's a goat. Better than you. Why? Because symbolically they want to drive home the point of scripture that says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. It's gone. Never to return. And he's been whispering this to never come back. Did you know you could never say to God, God, remember when I did such and such? And he's going to be like, what are you talking about? Gone. Gone. Hebrews 8, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness, forgetting it never to come. Gone. If you keep going west, you'll never end up east. Gone. Do you understand? Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. If God has forgotten it, forgiven it, and removed it, how dare you carry it? I understand the difficulty in forgiving ourselves, though that's never in Scripture. I understand the emotion that comes with it. And some of you have been carrying trash for far. You've come to Christ. You've asked His forgiveness. He has forgiven it, put it on a goat, kicked it off a cliff, separated it, gone. And yet you continue to carry it. How dare you? Was His work insufficient? Hell no. Gone. And because Jesus is the Messiah, God in flesh, the perfect sacrifice, the judgment of God has passed over us because of his blood, because he was the pure one unleavened, because he was accepted as the first fruits of the offering of God and resurrected and absorbed our sin. He now invites us into his kingdom and into his family because his shed blood was applied to the mercy seat that covers the law. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's a whisper and now a shout of God. And now there's no need for any other sacrifice. There's nothing else that you or I can add to this. It's done. And so we celebrate with shouts and with trumpets. And that joy is our strength. We remember what God has done. And we have confidence that he will remember us. Because he's chosen to tabernacle with us. Feast number seven on Friday. This is good stuff. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you love us and you've loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that for some reason you've chosen us. And you've offered yourself for us for the forgiveness of our sins and for eternal life. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you. In this moment, we offer ourselves back to you. We ask your forgiveness. And we choose to hold on to our faults no more. We choose to live in freedom that you've purposed, purchased on the cross through your son. And we thank you that our sins are gone. And we thank you that our transgressions are gone. And we thank you that our iniquity is gone. We love you, Jesus. We remember what you've done. And in this moment, we ask you to remember us and turn to us with positive attention and action. In your name we pray, amen.